Good morning, comrades, and uh, welcome to uh, another episode of uh, Workers' Power here on uh, 4ZZZ. And uh, we just uh, thank you to Zlines and uh, also uh, thank you to Artcart. Um, uh, well, I, I better rush into things today um, because we've got an action-packed show. We've got in our um, a second hour, we've got our comrades from Respect uh, coming in to uh, give us a bit of an update on uh, the decrim campaign. Um, in, in this first hour, we've got, uh, well, plenty of workers' action, and also we've got a, a special uh, recording that I did of uh, the... Uh, the rally at uh, last Wednesday, uh, the Builders Union. So um, there's uh, 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 there's lots of chants. I, I included all the chants. I cut down all the speeches. And, the chants and, are really good. Yeah, the, yeah, the chants are the way to go. And so, yeah, yeah, hang around, comrades. We've got a really, really good show coming on. So uh, let's rip into it and um, acknowledge the uh, traditional owners of the land uh, from which we broadcast, the Yuggera and Turrbal people. This land was stolen, never ceded. Uh, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge all First Nation comrades listening today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggles for recognitions, reparations and land rights. We live and benefit on stolen land. It's time to pay the rent. All right, let's rip into it. First Nations Workers Action. And uh, the first one up we've got is uh, oh, our comrade. We've been reporting a bit on our comrades out at uh, Parkley Prison, but uh, there's a COVID cluster happening up there. Um, who's yep. first up? So a COVID-19 cluster at the private Parkley Prison in Sydney's northwest has escalated to 169 cases, including 159 inmates. That includes 38 new cases diagnosed in the 24 hours to 8pm on Thursday. You may remember Parkley as the prisoner as the prison where pr- the prisoners held a rooftop Black Lives Matter protest in July this year, which ended when the guards d- guards guards used chemical weapons to attack them. One of the 159 inmates to catch COVID-19 at the jail is Cherie Regan's 18-year-old son, Jalim. I'm devastated. I'm very, very heartbroken, Miss Reagan said about her son's diagnosis. Though Jalem normally calls his mother every day, she hasn't been able to speak to him in more than two weeks. She's particularly concerned because he is First Nations and has a weak immune system, but she has no idea what kind of care he's receiving in the prison. They said at the moment he's got no symptoms. If he worsens, they'll take him to a hospital, Miss Reagan said. That's it. That's the only thing they've told me. She's concerned he won't be receiving the same care as those in the community would be receiving. How do I know that they've got someone there to help my son while he's got COVID when they won't even let me speak to him, she said. I need to speak to my son to make sure that he has got the help he needs. Jalem has not been vaccinated, despite being custody since July last year. Miss Reagan doesn't know if he's receiving his medication for other health conditions. On top of the Parkley cases, there are at least 66 more patients in state-run prison, with 26.1% of patients there fully vaccinated. Some 37.8% have had at least one dose. Yeah, so obviously people in prisons are not getting taken care of like they should be. Um, And Parkley in particular has a history of bad conditions for its prisoners as um, as demonstrated by the fact that they've had protests there which are fairly unusual but you see them around Australia 
Um, but this one in particular, just earlier this year, they had their protest and was brutally repressed um, with chemical weapons. Yeah, that's that's the reason it's in there, and uh, and it's at the top of the show. It's something that we've been reporting on. We're probably one of the only ones that uh, are reporting on on uh, the, the the struggle that the workers are going through there at Parkley. So, well, to be fair, I got both of those stories from the SPS. <laughs> Uh, us and the NRTV. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, well, uh, th- this is a, a quick one, um, and it's just a bit of an update on the uh, trial. Is that the the Uendaman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, come and Joe Walker. Yeah, so um, the NT police murder trial delayed again. Are you okay to go, Calypso? Yep. The murder trial over the outback shooting of an Indigenous man will be delayed again as Australia's highest court decides whether to allow a key tenant of the police officer's defence. The officer is charged with the murder of 19-year-old Kumanjai Walker, shot three times in the remote Northern Territory community of Uendamu in November 2019. The High Court on Friday agreed to consider a prosecution challenge to the officer's legal team relying on an immunity clause contained in the Territory's Police Administration Act. The clause provides for a protection for officers from civil and criminal prosecution for certain actions if performed in good faith during the exercise of police power. Its interpretation is central to the officer's pending trial in the Northern Territory Supreme Court, with Philip Strickland, SC, fearing it could culminate in an incorrect acquittal by the jury. His trial was previously pushed back from August, just an hour before the already twice-delayed proceedings were slated to begin because the High Court granted a stay over the issue. Yeah, I know that it could sound a little bit negative, that, but there's there's some positives in there, and and what the prosecutions are, uh, prosecutors are actually doing is is going to the High Court to test this uh, uh, what it's written down in there to to, to test that uh, 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 they, they've got immunity from prosecutions uh, because of uh, uh, in the in the course of their job. So uh, it, it's uh, it's one of the defences that the coppers use quite a lot, and hopefully with this challenge in the high court, they won't be able to use it anymore. So. I'm a little bit confused here. It says immunity if the actions were performed in good faith. How do you shoot someone three times in good faith? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. So well, obviously uh, the courts will have a different definition of good faith than most of us will. Yeah, that's right. But uh, look, the, uh, the it sounds like the uh, Northern Territory uh, public prosecutors think a, a little bit like we do, and um, yeah, they, they're going well. That's not a defence, and and so what what happens with these big trials and they're and they're big, they're huge days. The defence actually will mount a few different trials, so they're uh, defences. So there'll be like self defence. They'll go self defence. The guy come at me, and 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 then there's there's a, there's another one. This one where uh, it was in the line of my duty oh, you know I did it you know and that's their defense and they line up all these defenses and um and and, and they talk oh it's yeah was, yeah <laughs> and as a reminder of what actually happened during that shooting he was being held to the ground and they shot him three times in the back mm. there was no justification for that and uh yes so um yeah the, look I, I know it's delayed it and, and and it can be frustrating but um there is some good in, involved in that um hopefully 
okay, we better, like I said, we better keep moving. Now, oh, this one's got Dan written all over it. Traditional owners to manage land in seven new Indigenous protected areas. How do I pronounce this? That's Nagra Kayanta Man? Nagra Kayanta Man? Matthew West has only been on country once in his 41 years. Until recently, paintings and stories were the only way he could connect with the dunes and siltstone ranges of the Great Sandy Desert, which are home to his people. Mr. West has spent eight years, the past eight years, working as a ranger in other parts of West Australia's Kimberley region, waiting for an opportunity to conserve his own land. As part of a $15 million initiative with the federal government, Nagura Kayanta will be one of the seven new Indigenous protected areas across Western Australia and Queensland to put traditional owners in charge of managing biodiversity conservation. The government said the new IPAs would take the total area of land and sea managed by traditional owners through the IPA network to 115 million hectares across 95 IPAs, an area larger than South Australia. My people will get happy. I'm feeling really good, Mr West said about Nagura Kayanta's proposed status. He is keen to get work managing the land. We need to start working around that area to protect the animals, all the night parrots and the bilbies. Country needs people, Executive Director Patrick O'Leary, who currently works with 41 First Nation groups applying for and managing IPAs, so the announcement is really significant to traditional owners across the seven sites. Many of these groups have been aspiring towards having more capacity to work on their own country, and Indigenous Protected Area provides a framework to be able to make those plans. Mr O'Leary said the stable funding will get more jobs on country, strengthen culture and preserve the environment. Often these IPAs are combined with a separate stream of funding to support a ranger team, so the two work together to provide a team of workers who are properly paid to do this work, Mr O'Leary said. When traditional knowledge and contemporary science and technology meet in a respectful place, it can be a really powerful combination. While he knows of many great success stories, he said Wadara IPA in the stone country of Western Arnhem Land stands out. Much like Mr West people, traditional owners there were moved off many years ago by missionaries and colonial forces, Mr O'Leary said. They are now going back home, on country, managing the land sustainably through the program. That group has also raised additional money to build a bilingual school that's doing well in terms of the mainstream, mainstream curriculum, but more importantly, in terms of local language and culture, Mr O'Leary said. While there are soon to be 95 IPAs across the country, Country Needs People is urging the government to continue expanding these initiatives. We're calling on the federal government to double the efforts and funding for both Indigenous protected areas and Indigenous ranges, and we think if that happens, there'll be a lot of really positive stories coming out of it, Mr O'Leary said. We'll need, more resilient, we, we'll need a more resilient landscape to be able to deal with the pressures that we know are going to come from climate change. Who better to do that than traditional owners? Because of Nagura Kayanta's new IPA status, Mr West is expecting more roads will be built for better access to his country. Tourists can come to visit because we have that permit now, he said. Mr West said he's looking forward to going back to name and map the area to ensure future visitors understand protocols around the sacred sites. But most of all, Mr West said, he can't wait to spend time on country with the four or five Nayura Kayanta elders who are still alive. They were really happy, hunting, gathering, telling a lot of stories about ceremonies, law, business, the bush, dreaming... 
It's good for the old people to share where they come from with young people, Mr. West said. Right on. Returning the power to First Nations workers. Well, that can only be good, couldn't it? Ah. No doubt. Hey? No no doubt. Doubt. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, we don't need to say anymore that uh, <laughs> it's all been said there. Another great story. Oh, we would have lifted that from the, the NITV, have we? Yeah. What a great news source. I'll, I'll finish it off with, you know, like a, what a... I, I I must admit that I took out the government um, part of the story. <laughs> I just edited it out. You know, the government ministers making their 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 contribution. I just took it out. <laughs> well, God, we haven't got much time. I, I think uh, I, I would I would prefer to laugh about how taking it out than actually what were put they it saying, in there. Look how great we are yeah, getting the yeah, land back. Yeah, okay, yeah, where's yeah. the rest the of it? Then? Yeah, all pats on the back, rather. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and we're moving on to um, uh, our workers' action um, for the day. And uh, we're the, the top story is uh, Green Ban lifted historic Willow Grave to be ro- relocated. Jackson, can you... Uh, are you good to go for this one? Yep. Uh, so, yes, the Green Ban, unfortunately, has closed down... Uh, The New South Wales government is using the strict pandemic lockdown and curfew to dismantle and remove the historic Willow Grove to make way for the new powerhouse museum along Parramatta River. After a four-year community union fight to prevent the destruction of the Italianate villa, campaigners are still coming to terms with the loss. Residents took the government and infrastructure NSW to the Land and Environment Court, then the Supreme Court in May and June, exhausting legal avenues to protect this part of Parramatta's heritage. The North Parramatta Resident Action Group spokesperson Suzette Mead said the legal challenge had always been Plan B and that the battle to save Willow Grove would have to be won on the ground. The NSW CFMEU placed a green ban on Willow Grove 18 months ago in the spirit of struggles led by Jack Mundy and the members of the Bilbiters Labourers Federation. It was a source of strength for campaigners. In June, when contractors attempted to enter the site, the CFMEU, backed by residents, responded in large numbers to halt work. However, the lockdown and NSW Premier Gladys Berejiklian's decision to shut down the construction industry was a game-changer. Public health orders meant that residents and workers faced $5,000 fines if they gathered at the site, and locals were concerned about the health risks involved, making the enforcement of the green ban more and more difficult. Under pressure to get its members back on work on construction sites, the CFMEU negotiated with government and construction industry bosses to safely reopen the industry. The government sought to end the dispute and an agreement was made with the new union to relocate Willow Grove to a new site as soon as possible with union and community input on the location. The Resident Action Group does not agree with the building being relocated, accusing the government of using COVID-19 to desecrate the site. The people of Parramatta will not forgive or forget, Mead said. The CFMEU said it was able to secure government support for a committee to oversee the dismantling, relocation, rebuild and reuse of the villa and ongoing maintenance. It said the villa will be kept in public hands, funded and utilised for the community of Parramatta. The union will ensure the dismantling is undertaken in accordance with best practice heritage conservation and that Willow Grove is rebuilt at a location to be chosen with the local Parramatta community and stakeholders as soon as possible. 
the union has promised to support the community in their ongoing work to preserve the heritage of Parramatta. Mead addressed CFMU delegates on August 27th to thank the union for its support and to criticise the NSW Premier for mismanaging the pandemic. CFMU and the community put up a significant fight and that is a historic achievement. The state government knew what they were going up against and ruthlessly took the opportunity COVID-19 presented. I know, like you, we would have preferred to go to combat and there is a sense of disappointment that this monumental battle ended this way. Mead said she was confident that the four-year-long campaign had shown the government that we mean business and we will mobilise with our allies far and wide to fight back. We hope that this will inspire other communities to dare to struggle for better outcomes for our heritage and environment for next generations. Residents feel that the loss of Willow Grove from its original home is not a win. However, the Green Band was successful in saving the 1880 St. George's Terrace next door and they will be incorporated into the new powerhouse museum. The government will spend far more on relocating Willow Grove than it could have spent redesigning the museum to incorporate and preserve this piece for urban or urban heritage in its original setting. Yeah, that last sentence is quite telling, isn't it? You know, that it shows you what uh, the, the high price government will pay to not give in to workers. Mm. You know, they're going to end up spending more money anyhow, and they could have just incorporated the building into the their plans. Um, it's a museum. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we have to destroy our heritage to yes. put a museum. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a disappointing loss. Uh, but uh, look, look, uh, th- there's wins in there. You yeah, know, you don't fight, you lose. So uh, just start just by fighting, you know, you, you know. And there, there's some like there's some comments in there, you know, like the government know that we mean business, you know. The you know, and uh, there's radio stations in Brisbane talking about the green bands, you know. <laughs> Even that's a good thing, comrades, you know. So yeah, if they didn't put up a fight, there'd probably be nothing of this building remaining. That's right. That would have, yeah, spot on. Spot on. So um, you've got to take the wins where you want and, and then learn from your losses as well. But uh, uh, it's good on them for... Uh, yeah. And I think another really important win here is that this is like the first green ban since the BLF, basically. And that is a huge achievement. That's right. Just to have that happen and to lay the groundwork for more green bans in the future. Um, which, as we know from our comrades, uh, when our turn comes, you got to bring back the green bands for climate action, man. That's right. We sure do. Okay, now, our next uh, story um, is uh, New South Wales police punish social housing residents in a hard lockdown. Are you okay to go, Calypso? Yep. Residents of Common Ground, a social housing estate run by Mission Australia in inner city Camperdown that was placed under a sudden 14-day lockdown on September 2, are calling for rent relief and an end to the over-policing. Four tenants tested positive to the virus. The block was deep cleaned and the hard lockdown implemented on September 2. Safa, a resident, said her neighbour was taken, without their consent, in the middle of the night. The police, with full PPE and no ID, barged into her room and took her for three nights. Is this an abduction or kidnapping of residents before lockdown? How can this be a health-driven policy? Common Ground Resident Action Group spokesperson Robin 
said the night before the lockdown, New South Wales police barged into the apartments of five residents and took them to Concord Drug and Alcohol Hospital. Joe, a resident who was removed the night before the lockdown, described her fear. Two guys, over six foot tall and quite large size, pushed their way into my room. I didn't know who they were. I was quite scared. The lady at the door said, pack your bags, you're going for two weeks. She said, public health order, pack your things, you have five minutes. I was too scared to pack a bag, so I didn't pack anything. They marched us downstairs. There were more than 30 of them in gowns and masks, which I thought was overkill. Joe and the other residents who were taken away were not told where they were going or why they had been chosen to leave. Residents say this was unnecessary and wrong. Robin, another resident, said they had been told they could send mail to their partners. Some have even received parking fines. She said that the leaflet asking MA for rent waiver is not going to be delivered because it is too inflammatory. Deliveries to the building are being searched by police, including a computer keyboard that was completely taken apart and put back together again. Police have also confiscated alcohol, limiting residents to six beers or one 375-milliliter bottle of spirits. CGRAG is demanding rent-free accommodation for all residents during lockdown. A meeting with New South Wales Health, the immediate delivery of residents' medicines, an online town hall-style meeting for all residents, a meeting between the police liaison officer and the CGRAG legal representative, and library drop-offs and access to free streaming services. CGRAG is also asking supporters who live within five kilometres to walk past and show solidarity to residents. You have to understand how upset we are. They are just doing this because we're poor. That's what it comes down to, Safa said. Yeah, lock up the people who are out on Bondi Beach, eh? <laughs> and uh, look, look, uh, this one, I, I think, uh, you know, our listeners and, and uh, I know our hosts uh, know that uh, I'll be quite upset when workers can't get a beer at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, you I know, don't it's understand how that prevents the spread of COVID. Yeah, stopping them from drinking. I think they just want them to suffer. Yeah. Kidnapping them in the middle of the night, no warning, five minutes to pack, that's insane. Mm. It's a traumatic experience to have someone come into your, your bedroom unannounced mm. and just kidnap you in mm. the middle of the night. They didn't even have ID on them. You know what I mean? Yeah, they yeah. basically turned the place into a prison and a s- s- that's some violence. sort of weird public health justification it, it, it's just completely nonsense it, it, it is it is and uh, we, we, we've shown a lot of uh, solidarity uh, with the community in regards to uh, lock, when it comes to lockdown and, and, and the vaccination and things like that but this, this has just gone way too far when a worker can't have a beer at the end of the day <coughs> We know something's going wrong in this world, yeah. you know. And they did the same thing um, in Melbourne a little while ago. Yeah, they, they locked down that um, that that uh, public housing building. Got a fair bit more coverage than this one is getting. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a very similar situation, and it's happening again now that Sydney's in lockdown too. 
Yeah, yeah, they do, and, and and this is the the sort of uh, thing that the the government and the authorities are doing, and 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 it's fee- feeding the um, the free dumbers and 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 cove idiots of the world, you know. Mm. So, um, and and, uh, and we all know how I feel about those. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, solidarity with these people, and it's good to see that uh, Common Ground Resident Action Group were there taking direct action, even even showing support by walking past. We're with you, comrades. Um, I know that uh, even even the comrades out at Kangaroo uh, Point when they were locked up there. Yeah, that's uh, how that whole thing started before uh, the blockade. Yeah, and they they were quite uh, um, they felt empowered by us being out there in the street. You know, so um, you know, drawing a, a bit of a comparison. Hopefully, that there, there's some other supporters uh, uh, in and around Common Ground Resident Action Group. Uh, there's some really good uh, community groups uh, popping up. Uh, um, you know, like uh, Secure up here in uh, in in Mianjin and uh, we have sounds- to depend on our community. That's right. We've got to do it for ourselves. We've got to organise ourselves. Okay, um, we, we we've got to go. We've got to uh, split things up. Um, we'll have more workers' action after our uh, after our interview with respect. But uh, now we're uh, we're going to head towards we're going to head towards Queens Park, where uh, last Wednesday uh, there was uh, oh. I don't know what do you what do you reckon, Calypso? A couple of thousand workers. So many sea of hives. Yeah, it was the sea of hives was out and uh, and uh, yeah yeah they were um, they were loud. They, oh yeah, wait till you hear, you hear this. This is going to be fun. You're going to enjoy this. So, oh, oh look, I think I got the time right. Uh, I, the um, we'll let the listeners at home rip right into it. And this is oh I d- I did a bit of a recording of. Uh, of the rally, and uh, this is uh, what I put uh, put together. Now it's it's quite long. It's twelve minutes fifty six seconds, and I do have to put a language warning on there <laughs> because I couldn't get rid of it all, comrades. You know, like uh, when 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 you've got um, you know um, uh, angry workers uh, speaking to other angry workers, every now and again a naughty word comes out, uh, especially when Peter Ong is speaking. So. Uh, if you're uh, if you don't like swear words, uh, head out for 12 minutes 56, and we'll see you uh, at, at uh, the top of the hour for Z lines here on Workers Power on Four Triple Z. We need to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, pay our respects to their elders past, present and their future leaders and say as trade unionists how we're proud to walk alongside First Nations people all over this country in their struggle for justice, for treaty and for truth. And this is Aboriginal land and we're so glad and so proud to walk on this country with our First Nations brothers and sisters. Cross River Fail. Why don't we start with that? I say Cross River, you say Fail. Cross River Fail. Cross River Fail. Cross River Fail. Cross River Fail. We pledged to you last time that we had a rally about this stinking disaster of a job that we would not let it rest. 
And I think when we were here last time, the jobs actually deteriorated. It's got worse. You're going to hear from a number of speakers today. You're going to hear from the usual suspects in Peter Ong and Michael Rabbar, the secretaries of the ETU and the CFMEU. We're also going to hear from some workers today about the state of this job. We as Queensland workers, we as taxpayers in this state deserve better than what this government is dishing up to us. So what I'll do is I'll hand it over to Ongi and he'll give you a bit of a rundown on what's going on on the job. Mike Ongi, feel welcome. Comrades, listen, first of all, I want to thank each and every one of you for rolling out today. I know we love a walk in the sun and a bit of a chant and we like to have a chat to people who are doing the wrong things, but time and time again in the trade union movement, we have to use our strengths to deliver in areas that aren't as strong. And that's what we're doing again today. We have a lot of strong trade unionists in this park here today, and we don't have that amount of strength on the Cross River Rail job at the moment. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because this job has been set up to keep trade unions off it. This job has been set up to keep good workers off it, although we have got some good workers on there at the moment, the ones that have walked off today were videoed as they walked out the gate, had their photos taken, intimidated to show everyone else who didn't walk off the job and come here today that this is what will happen if you join a union. Or this is what will happen if you want to take action to better your wages and conditions on this job. It's an absolute fucking disgrace, comrades. But that's why time and time again, the trade union movement will always use its strength where it has it to apply areas in need and that's what we'll do again today, comrades. Let me give you a bit of history about this job. Myself and Michael and the other built trades group of unions entered into negotiations or tried to enter into negotiations some three years ago for a project agreement on this job because we were given commitments by government that it's government money going into it and there would be no agreement done without every union that had a right of entry on that job being on the agreement. That was the commitment given to us. So we went into negotiations to negotiate in good faith and deliver a fair and reasonable agreement that delivered good wages to workers and delivered good safety conditions and delivered training and apprenticeships to our kids. None of that has been delivered on this job today. Why hasn't it? Because instead of negotiating in good faith with all the trade unions that should be on that job, they ran off and did a shitty, sneaky dog deal with the AWU again. But the delivery authority is supposed to be the government's agent. Supposed to be the government's agent, right? The eyes and ears of government to make sure that that job is delivered on time, on budget, but also to deliver the principles of a Labor government. Exactly. Which means best practice in wages and conditions. Best practice in health and safety on the job. And best practice in training and apprenticeships. None of that's being delivered on this job. Morning, comrades. Thanks for all coming today. Appreciate the help. I'm the delegate down at the Gabba station. And since being there, actually, from the first day we walked in there, lads, it's like I walked into a third world fucking country. Water higher than your boots. Dust everywhere. Just got a school across the road. A hospital across the road. Families walking to the footy 
on the weekends, but it costs too much to put a bit of water on the on the soil coming out of the tunnels. Kids walking past, they don't give a shit. It took us not once but twice to sit down, send the right message. Now the community safe because of us who sat down for everyone in the community. And we'll do it again and again when needed. Thanks for coming everyone. I appreciate your time. We want to be loud and proud today. You want to make it work it, worth it. You've all walked off the job today despite the risks, despite the intimidation, despite the fear that the bosses and the multinationals and the ruling class of this country try and put you under. So let's make ourselves loud and proud. I say Cross River, you say fail. Cross River! Cross River! Cross River! Cross River! Cross River!
Hey, comrades, uh, welcome back to uh, Workers' Power here on 4ZZZ. Uh, where you're with, uh, where we've got Bill and Calypso, and I'll introduce our guests. We've got uh, Lulu and uh, Nikki uh, from uh, Respect uh, joining us today. Thank you so much for coming in. Hi, Bill. We're actually from Decrim QLD Committee. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for having us. All right. Yeah, well, that's, that's, well, that's my first question. What's the Decrim QLD Committee? Uh, we are a committee of sex workers that have actually joined with Respect Inc to progress decriminalisation of sex work in Queensland. So we have monthly online meetings and sex workers join from all over the state. Um, people who can't make it in person can join online at the meetings or um, contribute in all other kinds of ways as well, um, like at events and on social media and things like that. Talking to local MPs is a big one. Um, the formation of the committee was the outcome of an AGM that Respect held in late 2017 um, and they decided at that meeting that Queensland needed a focused campaign for decriminalisation. So Respect employed a campaign leader, the lovely Janelle, one day per week and lots of other Respect staff contribute as volunteers as well. So sex workers and Respect are collectively making decisions and progressing the work. That's a good way to do, do a, 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 a campaign and, and you... Yeah, like you highlight it that, that um, yes, that's so important that we're going to form a committee. And we're, we're doing that with Coles in, within Retail and Fast Food Workers Union as well. We're setting up a, a whole a whole team of Coles workers. So it's a good way to go about it. And uh, and uh, so what are the some of the things that have been coming about the committee coming together? So I guess you know, one, one of the big things we're really fighting at the moment is that we're fighting against what, you know, what we see as these cruel and oppressive laws uh, and over-targeting by police who, you know, honestly, they pose as our clients. They will arrest us for crimes of using basic safety strategies. Uh, you know, these are some of the big, you know, big issues that we're having with it. Uh, you know, the laws around sex work here in Queensland are complex, you know. They're made up of layers of regulation within about four different uh, levels of legislation, and it's a really complex system. Uh, you know, it's difficult for most sex workers to understand, especially if, like, English happens to be your second language. And to be honest, most police don't really understand these laws. They don't receive formal training, and so the results are that, you know, we sex workers are being targeted by them unfairly. Yeah, under the Prostitution Act, the only sex work business that can be licensed and therefore operate legally um, are approved brothels. So all other traditional sex industry businesses are criminalised. So that includes escort agencies, massage parlours, cooperatives, where two or more sex workers work together, um, and street and bar work as well. Currently, there's only 20 licensed brothels in Queensland, 17 in the southeast, two in Townsville and one in Cairns. So um, workers who live and work outside of these areas don't have the option to work in a brothel or a massage parlour or escort agencies and even working in pairs is illegal. Yeah, and the thing is, right, that under these Queensland licensing frameworks, many of these sex work business models are completely criminalised. And there is an entire section of the criminal code that criminalises many aspects of our work. This means the workplace and safety rights of all other Queenslanders, they don't apply to us. Queensland criminalises sex workers for advertising our services, which often overlaps with charges in the criminal code that criminalise sex workers' basic safety strategies, like working in pairs, hiring a receptionist to screen our bookings, even sharing basic safety information about where we are on another booking with another sex worker. So you can't even text a friend? You, you cannot text another sex worker. 
And, you know, the unfortunate reality is with the stigma that is around sex work, many sex workers are not face out. They're not out to their friends and their family because they do risk everything that comes with being found out. So the only people they can contact are other sex workers. And that's a crime here in Queensland. Um, also, entrapment in relation to Queensland is legal and police have complete immunity um, to coerce sex workers into agreeing to illegal services. In Queensland, you also don't even need to do the service. You just have to say that you might agree to it. But the immunity for police does extend to um, going through with the service as well. So what happens is police will pose as clients, make a booking over the phone or by text message, turn up to a sex worker's work workplace where... I answer the door to my clients in lingerie. So that's usually what someone will be wearing when the police turn up. Um, and then they'll proceed to try and stack as many charges as possible against the worker. Search the workplace, confiscate um, phones, laptops and cash as tainted, good, tainted goods. And most of the time the worker will never get that stuff back. Um, if we think about the Fitzgerald report, it was released about 32 years ago. Um, they found excessive levels of police corruption when the sex industry is under police control. And the licensing systems clearly failed sex workers and the community when about 80% of the sex industry is locked out, criminalised for essential aspects of our work and under police surveillance. Um, the Fitzgerald report recommended police be removed uh, from the regulatory role and recommended that there shouldn't be a police unit specific to the sex industry. And yet here we are in 2021 with the Prostitution Enforcement Task Force, whose dedicated work is posing as clients to arrest and charge sex workers for victimless crimes, like employing basic safety strategies. The, these crimes that, that we're being arrested for aren't even being reported by the public out of concern. They're things that police are going out of their way to find by entrapment and coercion. Yeah, and uh, even um, there's even if your boyfriend were to drive you, that, mm. that's illegal too, isn't it? It is. So unless that person has um, a special crowd controller's license, um, then no one else can drive you because that person can then be arrested for knowingly participate in the and provision that has of prostitution. For like, you know, if you want to use a taxi or an Uber, mm. you know, technically I can't use those because the driver's not going to have those things. And the thing is, that driver is now. Uh, engaged in a criminal act even though they don't know it. So this leaves you with no options? No options for getting safely to or from work? Not in a legal way. Not in a legal way. The reality of the fact is that we do it anyway. <laughs> because safety for most of us is most important. It's important. It could be a matter of life and death in some situations. Yes, and uh, yeah, uh, I know a little bit about this, and I know mm -hmm. that uh, safety is one of the big things that you you're fighting for. You know, like That's a, it. just a, and it's a workplace like any other workplace, and uh, workers um, should be safe in their workplace. If you went to any other industry and any other job, and you told someone when you go out on site, you're not allowed to tell anybody. You can't tell your colleagues that workplace would be looking at a lawsuit if anything happened. You know, these would be huge issues and it wouldn't stand in any other industry, but it does in the sex work industry. And and the thing is as well, the outcome of the laws is this culture of policing that means sex workers that, you know, have become unsafe, something's happened, don't have access to justice. When sex workers attempt to report crime, including serious crimes against us, we're most often turned away, told there is no crime, um, or treated so badly that we just don't proceed. 
But when sex workers have persisted and found a supportive police officer who will take the report, it's often found that they're not the only one that's been targeted by this perpetrator. So while sex workers are being charged for petty crimes, the impact on a sex worker can be devastating. Mm. Um, a sex work charge can have a huge impact on sex workers' other career prospects, relationships with friends and family, um, makes us vulnerable to like ongoing police harassment after that. Um, and being charged can result in being outed by the media, um, threatening personal safety, privacy, implications on child custody arrangements. Um, and, you know, we've been, we've been working under these laws for 20 years now and there's just so much evidence that police just can't manage the dual role of being enforcers and at the same time provide protection to sex workers who are experiencing or have experienced crime. Mm. It doesn't sound like they're very interested in protecting sex workers at all. Uh, no. <laughs> now, now, also, I, I, I know there's a little bit in around around the... I just go on the, the simple ones that seem just really silly to me as another worker, and, and, and that is in and around your advertising. Mm. And and you can't you can't do any oh, oh you you're turning to your notes you're going to talk about that later eh Wait, but, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a really good point sorry to be That's out okay. of out of order <laughs> but that is another um, aspect of safety as well how when you can advertise your services or what you do and what you don't do mm. um, that that helps with with safety in the long run doesn't it. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, if someone's going to turn up for a service and they expect one thing, um, but, you know, you're not willing to do that, you know, things could, could happen. And at the moment, our um, advertising is really heavily regulated and policed. So it comes under the, the Prostitution Licensing Authority. So they were established by the Prostitution Act 1999 to implement the licensing framework. So in reality, they're only regulating the 20 licensed brothels, um, but their role includes informing government on prostitution issues. <laughs> but there's no sex worker or sex worker organisation representation on the committee and no mechanism for sex workers to inform the work of the PLA. And so, okay, so what happens with the PLA, right? They'll create the guidelines. So these are the guidelines by which, you know, we have to meet our advertising. As we said, not just for brothels, uh, but also for sole operating sex workers. Now, they have the power to determine what words can't be used in advertising. For example, the word massage cannot be used in advertising. However, what? they don't give any firm <laughs> advice about which words can be used. Now, this gets worse, right? So by keeping it vague, they can get you for anything. Exactly. So this lack of clarity, right, around the wording, it means that we get um, police penalty infringement notices or PINs they get issued to sex workers. Um, so that could be for using prohibited words or acronyms, describing a service, But you don't even know what words are prohibited. Exactly. And they do we not have to tell us. We know massage. We know we can't use that. Um, but when we get these infringement notices, and the fine can be anywhere from $130 to $800 per infringement, those notices don't tell you what you did wrong. You can't fix your advertising. You can't contact the PLA and ask them what the rules are. They won't get back to you. Uh, it is vague, it is broad, and that allows them an in. And once they have that in, they'll then refer half of those complaints to what's called the Prostitution Enforcement Task Force. It's a specialist group of police who conduct focused raids around the state. 
that any police officer in Queensland, uh, you know, can issue pins and take part in these entrapment-style stings on sex workers. Uh, this would all change under decrim. We would have no more police using their taxpayer-funded time to troll through sex worker advertising looking for a wrong word. Uh, and no more sex workers being the victims of undercover police operations that have been triggered by these minor advertising breaches. Um, you know, as we've said, even texting and calling each other to check in and make sure we're safe after a booking right now is criminalized. Like, that's, that's just crazy. How can safety be criminalized? The laws really just don't permit community building among the sex worker community. And in practice, you know, it just works to keep us isolated from each other. Decrim would bring us out from the grey areas of law so we can confidently access services as out sex workers. Be honest about our working conditions. Sex workers could organise for better working conditions without fear of being arrested for working in any particular type of business. Um, you know, it would really just see us recognised as part of the workforce and give us the same rights and protections as other workers. Right on. <laughs> mm. Other workers can advertise what they offer as well can't they what they do and what could you they imagine don't do? a hairdresser I feel like that's, that's pretty important yeah hairdresser, <laughs> hairdresser you know what I mean? not being able to advertise what they do and no do perms not. Yeah. no perms <laughs> oh no you can't I'd say the stuffed. word perm that's uh, illegal yeah. yeah yeah don't use the word perm no well, cut no color no hair dry none of that you you have to describe exactly what you do without using all of the words yeah. you can say what you don't do though <laughs> they'll allow that you can say what you do not do and even, you know, on your, like, That's a personal website, for, for example. Oh, it really is. And you think that your website should be considered safe, but, the you know, a website is considered advertising as well. So it even comes down to your business website is limited in what you can do. You've got to use, like, smoke signals. Morse code. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's, you know just part of the reason why we've been campaigning for decrim. So um, we've been campaigning government and getting out into the community, raising awareness of the issues for three and a half years now. Um, Decriminalisation of sex work was referred to the Queensland Law Reform Commission by our Attorney General, Sh Shannon Fentiman, um, on August 26th this year. Um, and the report is due back November next year. So we're super excited about that, as you can imagine. Um, it's a really great opportunity for our government to make a real change for, like, to better the lives of Queenslanders. Um, the government, though, needs to hear from all of your listeners that you support decrim. Um, it'd be a huge and important first step towards better access uh, to workplace health and safety and access to services for sex workers. And during the review, stakeholders will be invited to write submissions. So we need everyone's support to help us get decrim over the line. And so, yeah, I've, I've been through the... Uh, oh, I've done had a little bit to do with the uh, Queensland Law Reform Commission um, back in the day when... Uh, well, it's just recently, in, in and around the um, the abortion reform that yeah. they did and they, they referred it off. And I and I even made a submission um, on behalf of, of my family and my daughters and, yeah. and things like that. So it's... Um, it's quite an easy thing to do, especially I'm sure respect will be uh, and decrim will be making it even easier for workers uh, like our listeners to make a submission. Is that right? We definitely will. And I guess what we really want people to think about is that everyone knows a sex worker, whether you realise it or not. Uh, you know, because as we've said, many sex workers aren't out to friends and family because of the stigma and fear, etc. It just makes this an issue for everyone. You don't know it, but you do know someone who either has done this work, is doing this work, or maybe will do the work in the future. 
Um, so someone you love is a sex worker and their safety is important to you. At the end of the day, we are humans, we deserve human rights. We are workers and we deserve workers' rights. You know, we deserve the same political, human, health, civil and legal rights as every other Queenslander. So when the time comes to write submissions, uh, you know, we really would encourage everyone to do that. I know that Decrim Queensland and Respect Inc will, you know, they're going to be preparing like a toolkit of sorts for organisations and individuals who maybe aren't sure how to write a submission or not really sure what kinds of things should go in a submission. You know, we're going to put stuff together to help people with that. So please don't let that, you know, put you off. And I guess... I don't know, something I want to mention is that we mentioned that this report isn't due back until November 2020. So this is November next year. So while this inquiry is still going um, and we wait for that report to come back, remember that sex workers are still stuck living under these harmful and discriminatory laws. There's no embargo on these laws. So what we need now is a redirection of police resources, you know, away from entrapping sex workers so that we can have sex workers who are protected from arrests just for implementing basic safety strategies. Because from now until at least until that draft submission comes back, we're still being treated as criminals. Yeah, we could call it workers policy 1312, I reckon. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, and, and uh, look, look uh, on on the word workers, and and just just to to um, show our solidarity. Part of the reason we're actually called Workers Power was because when we were looking for the, for the name of the show, is like, how can we be inclusive? Mm. How can we include? All workers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, there's no better way than workers, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so you you will be reaching out to the um, well to the community and to, yeah. to to the greater union movement, asking for, for absolutely, assistance. Yeah. absolutely, yeah. We'll be in touch when the time comes. <laughs> I have a question. What day is it today? Today is International Sex Worker Pride Day. Ooh, Thanks yeah. for asking, Calypso. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and that's right. You, you you should be proud to be workers. You know, yeah. you're part of our community, and uh, um, you, it's you, skilled labour too. Yeah, absolutely. You should yeah. be able to take yeah. pride in your work if you're good at it. Yeah, totally. Every other <laughs> industry, you're allowed to be like, yeah, I'm good at my job. Yeah, and and to tell people about that as well. So we have um, four international sort of days of recognition for the sex worker community. There's International Sex Worker Rights Day on March third, which I was in here talking about earlier this year. Um, International Halls Day on the 2nd of June, International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers on December 17th and today, which is International Sex Worker Pride Day. Um, Pride Day started in 2019 and it's an opportunity to celebrate and share stories of sex workers' self-determination and the achievements of the sex worker rights movement around the world. Sex workers have achieved so much and we have a lot to be proud of, but there's just still so much stigma and discrimination around sex work and sex workers. So many people, like Nikki said earlier, can't or choose not to be out as sex workers because of that. And the danger is still so real for some people in many parts of the world. Even here... People risk losing their friends and family, their other jobs, um, access to services, impacts on child custody. 
Um, and we totally understand that. But those of us that can be out and proud can be part of making that change. So we want to generate whole pride and see people able to be proud of our profession and the choices that they've made just like anyone else. And there's a, there's actually a lot to celebrate recently too. There has been a lot to celebrate. So we've had uh, the Northern Territory has decriminalised sex work. The Victorian government has recently released its model for decrim, you know, for discussion. South Australia has a bill uh, before Parliament, I believe. And Queensland is finally playing catch up with the other states and territories. And look, the evidence... Come on, Queensland. Come on, Queensland. (laughs) You know, the evidence is there. The evidence shows that decriminalisation delivers high compliance and a low-cost model of regulation, which is the exact opposite of what we currently have in Queensland. There's currently, you know, um, a relatively low compliance and a very high cost model. And the evidence shows decrim does the exact opposite. Uh, most importantly, decriminalisation delivers improved health, safety and workplace rights for sex workers. Right on. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, wait, wait on. Is there, is there anything that um, we haven't... Um discussed yet that's really important before we move on? Yeah, can we just mention how people might be able to support until it's time for us to contact everyone again and let you know how to write submissions Mm. um, how people can support us in the meantime? Yes. Yeah, so if you would like to support our campaign, you can do so in a few different ways. So if you are part of an organisation, you can sign on as a supporter of the campaign and if you're an ally and you want to keep up to date on how the campaign is going and maybe what events there are coming up to support us, etc., you can do all that by sending an email to decrim queensland or decrim qld at respectqld.org.au you can follow our campaign on um, twitter and instagram share our content search for hashtag decrim qld and finally you can contact queensland mps to discuss the issues and tell them that you support decriminalization of sex work yeah because at the end of the day uh, like after november once it's still got to go to a vote Absolutely. And so this is a long process. It's a long process. And then, and then, so what's that? So where are we? 20, 2020, so November 2022. Mm. And um, if, if there's not the political pressure, they might kick the can down the road again to, 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 the, to, to the next government. That's right. We need is, to you, keep keep the buzz happening. Yeah. And it's keep really the important on. that, uh, you know, our politicians realise that it is not just the sex workers who are, you know, wanting these changes to happen. The community wants to see those changes happen Everyone. too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I imagine, like, uh, clients would have a improved health and safety as well as a result of decrim. There's a lot of stigma around it for clients as well. I think anyone involved in any area of, of the industry will benefit from decriminalisation. Oh, well, what Thank you. you know what I'm proud of. Before we go, I, I, I'm really proud of my comrades in uh, in respect and the and the way that they organise their workplace now. You know, like uh, you know, once upon a time you were a bit more advocacy group, you know, but now you're much more like a union for some reason. <laughs> you know, you've had there's been some influences, I think, has there? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I say there's probably been a few steep learning curves along the way, but when you're passionate about seeing changes and when day in, day out, you see your colleagues who cannot stand up for themselves Mm. facing these situations and going through, you know, having police come in and see them. And that's a really scary situation for them to be in. Oh, the police have all the power. Mm -hmm. And having their real world names splashed throughout, you know, Mm. newspapers and media. And that's the end of the privacy for them. You know, when you see that every day, you can't 
just stand by and not get involved that's and right. not passionately chase for it. And and that's another reason as well why we need not just decrim, but decrim as the first step. And yeah. then we also need changes to anti-discrimination and anti-vilification laws as well. That's right, yeah, decrim's just the first step. And then, you know, r- recognising workplaces and, and the health and safety that goes in and around them, you know, that... that there's a whole whole gambit of things, you know, campaigns that that um, you, you know, decrim and respect can do mm. for um, standing up for their members, you know. So yeah, and hopefully all of that will lead to community attitudes changing. Right on, spot on. Okay, well you're always welcome here in um, uh, uh, Workers Power. What's that next one in December? It's uh International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers. We it's better, on wait, December seventeenth. December seventeenth. Lock it Bill's in. Diary out. Diary out. It's getting serious. So, so listeners can can uh, look forward to. So the 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 day is the. It's a Friday. Let Let's go the Tuesday. I'll mark it in my diary. Respect on workers' power. You know. So thanks, uh, Bill. Oh, de- respect and <laughs> we'll decrim. We'll be here. Respect and decrim. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah. Thank you for coming up and uh, on and letting us know what uh, um, you know what you're up to and what it's like. Uh, what what a, a sex worker's got to go through just to do their work. Um, so yeah, keep up the fantastic work. I I, I think I, I I'm I'm a bit harsh, right? As <laughs> as as you know, and and everyone knows. I I, I suspect that the, the the Queensland government kicking the can down the road, but it's moving. It's moving. The can is moving, and uh, we will keep kicking it until, you know, um, sex work is decriminalised here in Queensland. We'll just kick the can back. If they want to kick it, we'll kick it back. Yeah, that's (laughs) right. I love those analogies of, you know, just, yeah, sticking (laughs) it to the authority. Okay, yes. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Happy Sex Worker Pride Day. Woo! Thank you, and uh, we'll be back uh, after this with uh, more workers' action here on Workers' Power on Triple And welcome back to Workers' Power here on Four Triple Z, where you're with Bill Jackson, Calypso, and Dan. And uh, what a great interview! Yeah, that was awesome. That was, that was really, really good, the interviewer. Uh, they're, they're so well organised these days. It's fantastic to have them in. Now, um, we're, we're going to... We, we've got some workers' action stories here that have been written, but we just don't have time to go through them, comrades. So what we're going to do is we're going to give them a mention, um, but uh, what, what we always do is we provide links to the stories um, on our Facebook page so you can... Uh, um, and, and our website, which is... Workerspower4ZZZ.org and um, so we we will have these um, uh, stories in full um, for you to have a look at, um, but we're going to kind of quickly head through them. So the the, the first one was um, the Sydney bus drivers refuses to return to work until rapid testing is introduced. What's it? Uh, what union is this one in? Um, the TWU, of course. Okay, and uh, what's their, what's their um, action that they're they're trying to take there? So uh, around 180 bus drivers walked off the job at a Western Sydney depot after one of their colleagues tested positive to COVID-19, and a warning they will not return until rapid antigen testing is introduced. 
Well, they they they're ramping it up the um the bus drop. I oh, know. The, well, they're this, on the front line, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, down in um, 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 so-called Sydney, there, there's a there's a few things going on with the bus drivers as well. I know that uh, the the um, RTBU station staff they they, they work. Uh, oh, these are the train. That's more the trains. So I should mm. use the heading public transport, not buses. But uh, <laughs> um, and, and the um, the RTBU. I, I thought that uh, you comrades would be uh, very interested in this one. Uh, they're doing industrial action, and RTBU station staff are performing duties sitting down. That's the industrial action. So they're still performing their duties. Yeah, but all duties, everything will be done sitting down. Cool. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't yeah. think that's a very creative idea. Yeah, that's it. yeah. I know. I know you you you, you, you like the different um, ideas in industrial action, and uh, yeah, that's another one. Um, all right. So uh, moving on through now, uh, we've got um, food workers walked off the job over COVID risk. Um, down at oh, Scott's Refrigeration, there's some stuff happening, a fair bit happening down there, and workers walked off the job on a Monday, 6th of September, after raising concerns that Scott's was in breach of its COVID safe plan. Yeah, so this was after 11 workers tested positive for the disease. Um, yeah, so you already have a bunch of people being affected, and they've taken action to prevent further harm from occurring right uh, now yeah the bosses they just don't get it do they no they yeah. just all they all they can think of is profits yes yeah. and um care. yeah having to buy screens and more alcohol wipes and things like this they uh, they don't want to spend the money yeah but uh we'll be there for it in um highlighting uh um, workers standing up and fighting back for their safety. So, uh, like I said, those are, um, we we will have those links on our website. All right, and then to move into the, the what's happening, um, what what what's the the big story happening internationally, Jackson? Uh, well, the, obviously, there's the situation in Afghanistan where the Taliban have taken power. But you also, of course, whenever fascism takes root, you get the resistance growing from the people, uh, and especially in this case from women who are one of the uh, most targeted groups by the Taliban. Um, so, yeah, you have pro- you have protests going on. One was held on September 1st in Herat City, uh, followed by protests in Kabul, Mazar and Nimruz. Uh, no organisation or political party has taken responsibility for the protests and the protesters try to hide their identity to avoid Taliban retaliation. Um, one of the placards at these protests went viral uh, which read, Don't be afraid, we are all together. And then on the next day there was another one, uh, this time addressing the Taliban, which says, Be afraid because we are all together. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. There must be a lot of courage to protest in that particular place at this time. Yeah, definitely. I like uh, one of the protesters, a uh, protesters who didn't want to reveal her name. I like this. Just this quote: "No regime can suppress us." Good on them. You know, they're they're out there. Um, you know, under extremely difficult uh, circumstances to organise. 
Okay, uh, the next story we had on our list is, is we got um, six uh, Palestinian political prisoners escaped from an Israeli prison. All right, on Monday, September 6th, six Palestinian political prisoners escaped from the Gilboa High Security Prison through a tunnel. They were sentenced to life imprisonment for their participation in Palestinian resistant actions. Oh, this, this is a good bit of activism, isn't it? Mm. Eh? You can't lock them up. They'll yeah. bust out. <laughs> and the prisoners dug a tunnel under a large ceramic bathroom tile at the foot of a sink. Um, so the Palestinian resistance continues against the Zionist occupation and the escape of these political prisoners is a powerful example of the resilience of those imprisoned by colonisers to struggle for their own liberation. Hell yeah. I like that sentence. That was very good. Yeah. Uh, one thing I really like about this story is, like, the literal tunnelling out of prison. You don't see that yeah. very often, but it's very cool. <laughs> yeah, good on yeah. With the spoons and, and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, and uh, uh, the last story that, that we had on here is, um, it's, a, it's a win for workers, if I'm reading it right. Uh, yes. Uh, Mexico decriminalizes uh, abortion in historic ruling. Oh, 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 Calypso. oh you're not, you're not. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I got it. So Mexico's Supreme Court of Justice uh, unanimously ruled on September 7th that it is unconstitutional but to penalize women and pregnant persons who have abortions because it violates their right to decide. The country's top court took up the issue on September 6th to rule on a case filed in 2018 challenging a criminal law in the state of Coahuila, that punished pregnant women and those who helped them in terminating a pregnancy with up to three years in prison. That day, eight of the 11 justices present voted to revoke the law. The next day, three other justices joined the extended decision on the matter and declared such laws unconstitutional. The court ordered the state government of Coahuila to remove sanctions for abortions from its criminal code. This is huge. Yeah. This is this is huge. Uh, three years prison for getting an abortion. Um... And obviously that's for the, the mother, not for anyone else who was involved in yeah. the pregnancy. Um, mm. it's, 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 it's anti-woman. It's, it's targeting women. It's controlling their bodies, controlling their lives. Um, so this is a really big thing that's going to affect so many people's lives. It's a huge victory. That's right, and now yeah, Mexico's going the right way, and then then you know across the border the and Texans Texas, are going yeah. the wrong way, aren't they? You know, and uh, well, people are going to be fighting there too. People, oh, are, yeah. people are fighting there. Yes, too. I've seen some 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 good activism happening in and around that. All right, and uh, yeah, that's something that we're we're. Um, we're big in uh, on here at Workers' Power is, um, you know, um, a, a women's body autonomy. That's a correct term, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're at the, the, the end of our show, a great show, but uh, we've got uh, one more thing to do here, and uh, that is uh, the world-famous Scallywag of the Week. Now, I use the... Since we call it world-famous, I thought... Uh, with this one, this is a world class gallywag. This this one, mm-hmm. right? So, UK, University of Queensland and the Liveris Academy are hosting a webinar with Ben Van Burden, the CEO of Shell. Dude. Shell is one of the world's biggest oil and gas companies. The company has been responsible for countless climate disasters, including major oil spills and exploration in the Amazon. 
In an email to students, the event should appeal to any students with an interest in sustainability. (laughs) (laughs) Why would any student interested in sustainability and climate justice listen to the CEO of a company who is currently appealing a decision that demands Shell to reduce its CO2 emissions? Once again... UQ is helping greenwash some of the world's worst climate criminals and companies. This is why we should oppose the Liveris building at UQ and all its attempt to make climate criminals appear. Like this... Sorry? It says make... Make uh, appear sustainable. Ben Van Buden, more like... Ben Van Puden. Yeah, so Ben Van <laughs> is our is the workers' power scallywag of the week, and and what a scallywag they are in a photo, and oh, I kind of want to crash that webinar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Shell Shell's one of the companies that's very big on pushing um, consumer responsibility to like divert. A responsibility from themselves and say, "Oh, you should, you should try to lower your carbon footprint." Oh, it's the plastic they, they push the carbon footprint yes. oh, yeah. thing a lot. It's Do a, the right thing. Push the responsibility onto the consumer, but mm. the consumer only makes up about ten percent of the total yeah. actual pollution. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, and and, and us uh, us consumers, we, we you know those that are uh, politically educated, we 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 say there is no ethical consumption in a late-term capitalism. But they, capitalism they fool us yeah. into making us think that we are actually doing something that is, is going to, to save the planet and make us, make us feel like it is, a victory is possible. Meanwhile, they just keep going and, and we're all screwed. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's these big business. Um, they're the ones that have got a, um, you know, like a... Uh, not everything is for profit, um, but uh, unfortunately, you know, um, yeah. that's the only way they can see things. That's the only way they see it, and you know, scallywags like Ben Van Buren. The only thing he knows is, um, you know, dollars and cents, um, and that's why he's such a scallywag and wins awards on workers' power for Triple Z. Okay, well, um, that's uh, we, we've only got our uh, oblig- uh, obligatory uh, Flangipani song coming up. Um, um, so, um, yeah, uh, a great show. Make sure you stick around for um, for Brisbane Lions who who are coming up uh, to to bring you the professional experience of the news. Uh, uh, we're, we're getting pretty good though. I reckon that was a fantastic interview. Thank yeah. you for your help there, Calypso, and. Uh, Thank you to the, all the team for joining me today. Um, and Good show, uh, guys. And, uh, yeah, we will um, see you next Tuesday here on Workers' Power on 4 Triple Z.